From the beginning, Walt Disney established a tradition of innovation. From the world's first full-length animated feature, Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs, to the new photographic techniques introduced in 101 Dalmatians, the combination of animation and live action in Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and the dazzling use of computer technology in Beauty and the Beast. Now, Walt Disney Pictures is joining forces with Tim Burton, the creative genius behind Batman, Beetlejuice, and Edward Scissorhands, to bring you one of the most extraordinary and exciting motion pictures of our time, The Nightmare Before Christmas, coming to theaters everywhere for the 1993 holiday season. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our post-spooktacular savings episode of our podcast that asks the question, remember the odds? I do. It's Tom. Yeah, <laughs> it's Tom. And I'm Courtney. Hi, Courtney. <laughs> hey, Tom. And we're here to talk about everything from the 2000s, from uh, the the big recession in 2008. I don't know. There's a lot of stuff happening right now. That's fair. Uh, I was going to go with a lot goofier one, but now I'm like, oh. No, it's oh. okay. I feel like I always go with, like, the... Um, like commercial consumeristic things from the aughts and then you go with very like normal like every day-to-day things so you should go with whatever you want oh well i was gonna go with going to fye which i thought was fyi because i have a bad (laughs) memory but courtney was nice enough to be like no tom don't sound dumb on the podcast it's fye not fyi and i'm like oh yeah i used to buy movies there (laughs) and i think they started selling records before they closed I just remember one of the last times that I saw them, there was just, like, three different versions of the Titanic DVD available. (laughs) Like, they didn't have that much money, but they could bank on people wanting Titanic on DVD. Yeah. Yeah. Um, From going to FYE, to Hot Topic, to Spencer's, because back in the day, Roosevelt Field Mall, the food court was a giant blimp. Do you remember the blimp? I miss the blimp. I liked the blimp. It added character. I liked character. the Zeppelin. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and what was nice about it, like, the mall is huge. I think Roosevelt Field Mall is, like, one of the, it's, like, top five biggest malls in America. Yes. We did not realize that growing up because we no. were just like, it's a mall, but it's actually one of the biggest malls in the country. So, it's a huge-ass mall, but I really think that most kids our age, especially, like, dum-dums like us, we're only hanging out around the blimp because yeah. that's where all of our stores were. That's where Hot Topic was. Like I said, Spencer's, uh, FYE. I mean, that's also where the food is. Mm-hmm. Taco mm-hmm. Bell was there. Wendy's was there. Taco Bell. Three different Chinese restaurants were there. One tries to be a little bit more sophisticated by saying Asian fusion, but that's okay. It's just Chinese. They're always the ones giving out free samples. And I'd be like, hell yeah, I want this chicken. That was the plan. Yeah. And then it was also closest to the movie theater. So Mm -hmm. that's where we hung out. was just a giant blimp. Yeah. The blimp of Roosevelt Mall. You know, it's funny. I went to the mall. Like, I mean, obviously not during pandemic. But they changed the food court to actually have better food options. But it doesn't feel the same. No, and also they took away... Okay, so they opened up that big food court, which is very overstimulating and very uh, snooty-finooty, Long Mm -hmm. Island-y. Yes. But they got rid of the potato restaurant that 
I loved. No, not the potato restaurant. I loved the potato restaurant because you could literally just pick potatoes in whatever form you preferred most. And then you just go down the line and pick toppings that you want on those preferred potato forms. It was not the Not the potatoes. You could get a baked potato. You could get fries. You could get curly fries. You could get tater tots. You were able to get whatever kind of potato you wanted. And I loved it. No. One good thing about 2020 is that they built that gigantic Neiman Marcus wing. And it, it's already done. Like, Neiman Marcus is no longer existing in 2020. Oh, so, boy. I don't know what they're going to do with that eyesore of a wing that they added just for Neiman Marcus. Well, let's bring back the blimp. Yeah, they should just, just curve out the edges and turn it into a blimp again. I'm down for the blimp. But this episode... Yes. ...does talk a lot. Well, it does involve being at the mall a lot. Yes. Because yeah. this is another one of those episodes where we bend the rules a little bit. Mm-hmm. We're gonna break all the rules, but you know what? Fuck it. We can. We can do that. Like a creator of a sci-fi show that everyone is actually interested in for a few years. And they look at the creators and think, oh, what are they up to? We have no idea. There is significance because we've talked about it briefly. Despite this movie being made in 1993, mm-hmm. it has a significant resurgence and a huge like part of the culture of the, especially alternative culture of the aughts. Mm-hmm. And the reason we talk about the mall is because that's where we would buy the movie. Yeah, if you went to Hot Topic, if you played a drinking game where you go to Hot Topic and you did a shot of every time you saw Nightmare Before Christmas paraphernalia, you'd be drunk before you even get halfway through the store. Yes, absolutely. And that's why today's topic, do you want to say today's topic? Bum, 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 bum. Danny Elfman scored. Yeah, there's a lot of like, and then a lot of like, today's episode is about the resurgence of love of Nightmare Before Christmas. What's this? What's this? There's color everywhere. What's this? There's white things in the air. What's this? I can't believe my eyes. I must be dreaming. Wake up, Jack. This is a What is this? Haven't you heard of peace on earth and goodwill toward men? <laughs> Touchstone Pictures presents the enchanting story of two very special dreamers and the holiday spirit that brought them together. Yeah. This is where I'm going <laughs> to insert the trailer. Um, I love the uh, introduction for the movie where it's like, well, if you haven't heard the story, then it's time you've begun. It's like such a great like Twilight Zone-y kind of introduction. Oh, yeah. It, it wears its references on its sleeve. This movie... Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it still holds cultural significance. And there's a question that I think circles around the movie. And I think we can address that question in the podcast. Yes. Is the movie a Halloween movie or a Christmas movie? This is a this is a big divisive question. And I think that's why it's appropriate that we, we start post-Halloween season with this movie and ask this very question. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, a Halloween movie. I think I watching it last night, which for the fact for the record, I actually 
haven't watched this since I was a kid. Right. And I think it's one of those things where I watched it a lot as a kid, then I didn't watch it, but it had its resurgence. So like I was around it all the time. And I think like I had an understanding of what it is and the references, but I actually have not watched it like from beginning to end since I was a young child. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So watching it now was a delight. It was fun. And there was definitely story elements I don't remember that I watched and I'm like, oh, Sally was being, like, kept as, like, a Frankenstein monster slave. She like, sure was. What? And who knows for what reason. Also, uh, the voice actor behind Jack Skellington. Yeah. What's his name? Yes. I, yes. Chris Sardon? Is Chris that how you Sarandon. Say Chris Sarandon. Sorry, I'm so dumb. No, no, it's okay. I heard somebody say it as Sarandon, which was the weirdest thing to me. It was, it just blew my mind. No idea. This guy was Jerry the Vampire in Fright Night. That's right. And he makes a cameo in the more recent one that we've mentioned before with uh, yes. Colin Farrell. And he's also in The Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. And he's in Child's Play. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, he plays... I don't know who he plays. I don't... I'm just going to put this on the record. I, I don't, I'm not a huge fan of Chucky or the Child's Play movies. That's fair. They seemed... I don't know. I could buy a lot. I, I just can't. I don't care. Sure. I don't care. Sure. Um, yeah, so um, Danny Elfman originally just wanted to be all of Jack Skellington. Really? Yeah, he was like, let me at it. And they were like, you can't. And he was like, but this guy can't sing. And they were like, we know, we'll let you do that. And he's like, so just let me do the whole thing. And they said no. I don't necessarily think that that was, like, Tim Burton's choice. I think that was more about um, Disney's choice. Yeah. Yeah. And another fun thing about this movie, for the longest time, I thought this was a... I mean, it is produced by Tim Burton. Right. But he did not direct it. And I know this because he was too busy doing Batman. Yeah. So this was directed by Henry Salick. And he would go on to do Caroline, right? Yeah, so he does James and the Giant Peach mm-hmm. and Coraline, which is the first stop motion movie to be released in 3D. Oh, wow. Yeah, and they did a really good job with it. Um, Jack Skellington makes a couple of appearances in Henry Selleck's other movies. He comes back in James and the Giant Peach as the underwater like sea captain skeleton that they take the compass from. And then in a very, very, very quick, almost like completely unrecognizable moment in Coraline, the other mother cracks an egg yolk open, or she like cracks an egg, and then the yolk pours out into a cup, and on that yolk is Jack Skellington's face. Oh, okay. Yeah, very cute little nod. You know what's funny is I didn't watch Coraline until like a few months ago. What did you think about it? I enjoyed it. I liked it. I think... Yeah. I, I was going to say, like, from watching this and then watching Coraline, like, a few months ago, I think they definitely got a little better in elementing a story into the... Because, the, like, the big spectacle of Nightmare Before Christmas is style, the music, because mm-hmm. I forgot how much of a musical it is. Kiki. There are barely any moments where they're not singing. Right, exactly. Or there and, isn't music guiding you into the next scene. Yeah, and yeah. with Coraline, it was this—it was a narrative that was only supported by the style of animation. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it, I guess it's preference. But with Nightmare Before Christmas, I was like, I did not realize this was a musical. 
like all yeah. the way through. It's like a hundred and twenty percent a musical. Um, I kind of figured that it would make such a good show on Broadway. Yeah. Um, I was kind of surprised that Beetlejuice was the first Tim Burton show to make it to Broadway. <laughs> oh boy. But I, I guess that people do. I mean, I love Beetlejuice. Don't get me wrong. But as far as Tim Burton pieces go, I just think that this would be so much fun to do on Broadway. Because, like, it is a musical. You don't need to write any more music. Yeah. But, um, yeah, so Nightmare Before Christmas. Um, what's great about it, too, is that they do, they worked so hard to animate this movie to look like any other movie would. Like, they didn't animate it with the idea of like, oh, we have to be careful because we're doing stop motion. No, they were like, we're going to do what it takes to shoot it like we would a live action film. Well, yeah, it's it does look visually very impressive even now. Right. And like, I enjoyed watching it. Also, it's a lot shorter than I remember. It's only an hour and 20 minutes. Yeah, I think every movie should be that long. It was a perfect length for this movie. Yeah, I don't think that this would need any more. Um, it, it's based on a three-page poem that Tim Burton wrote. Huh, which, I didn't know that. Yeah, and the inspiration behind that three-page poem was that, you know, he's from California, so they don't really have seasons change where he was in Burbank, California, and the only way to really indicate the change of seasons was... Um, you know, dumping out all the Halloween decorations at the store and replacing them with Christmas decorations. Gotcha. So he was inspired by that, and he was also inspired by those, like, classic Christmas TV shorts. With, yes. With, like, Fred Astaire and Mickey Rooney. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, so those kinds of inspirations are what fueled Nightmare Before Christmas. I wouldn't be surprised, side note, if there mm-hmm. was a little inspiration taken from this one is not well known mm-hmm. but of those like you know television stop motion animation christmas movies like rudolph and frost well the frosty was 2d sorry but you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah, yeah. there was one called mad monster party with oh, yeah. Bor- with boris karloff and it's <laughs> about just an island of monsters and i loved it i have it on dvd it is fantastic but it does not get like highly recognized as much as the christmas movies do sure i haven't seen it like specifically mentioned but i also just would categorize that as like things you expect tim burton loves oh absolutely right and i'm not saying that tim burton doesn't come with his fair share of problems he's said some things that um with his later movies that i that we both extremely disagree with can we like categorize that type of problematic behavior as like old manisms? Because it's literally like when we were younger, and I guess in the nineties, he's a hotshot director; he could do no wrong, mm-hmm. and he's fairly progressive for the time. But then you get to like twenty years later, and you just have this like kicking like old man behaviors, megalomania, yeah, just like I'm not as pop as I used to be. I'ma be controversial, dude. I think we should put J.K. Rowling in that category, too. Yeah. Like, it's not even, like, the worst type of problematic behavior. It's just annoying and, like, God, guys, please stop talking. Right. Exactly. It's, like, will the things that you're saying actually, like, induce violence in any sort of way? No. 
but is it helpful? No. Yeah, that, that's the best way to put it. It's not gonna, it's not actively ruining somebody's life, but is it helping anybody? No, it's, it's kind of like, God, please shut up. Right, exactly. And it's like, are you hurting the fans that fit into that demographic? Probably, but that's on you more than the fans. And I hope that they know that. Yeah. It's like, look, there's a reason we don't always go to grandma's house. (laughs) There's, you know, I don't, I don't need to have Thanksgiving awkward dinner talk in my movies. Right, right. So I think the same thing that happens with um, J.K. Rowling, like we've seen this happen with Tim Burton, is that Tim Burton early on in his career has these influences and it's this thing that is at some point, including Nightmare Before Christmas, kind of shunned. You know, Disney put this under their touchstone label because... They were afraid of putting it under the nightmare. Um, they were afraid of putting it under the Walt Disney label. They I also, didn't know that actually. Wow. Yeah, and they also argued extremely over <laughs> Jack Skellington not having eyeballs. What? Yeah, because um, uh, who was the CEO of Disney at the time? Mike Eyes. Yeah, Mike Michael Eisner. Michael Eisner. Um. They argue, like, you can't have a main protagonist without eyeballs because eyes are, like, 80% of what our fans can connect to. And Tim Burton and Henry Selick were just like, nope. (laughs) And it works. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You don't need eyeballs. Right. So, um, I don't even think we really need to go into what the movie is about. It's... I mean, if you haven't seen it already, go watch it. Like, go watch it and then come back to the rest of this episode. I think if I could break it down in the worst description possible. Do it. uh, Sort of sad, greedy skeleton man Mm -hmm. steals Christmas from Santa Claus, but then regrets it. Right. And Sally falls in love with skeleton man. Yeah, I think that... um... Todd in the Shadows did a really great explanation of Nightmare Before Christmas being about cultural appropriation. In a weird way, yes. Yeah, yeah, I can see that the more you say. Yeah, yeah. Um, Because he basically says that, you know, we become bored with the thing that we've mastered and then we see this thing and we don't quite grasp it, but we're really interested in it. So we try to copy it in the way that we know how, but that actually sort of takes away from what makes it special and ends up hurting the thing that created it. I mean, yeah, yeah. that's literally what happens. That's that's what happens. Um, but I think the reason that, like, I, I mean, I was one of those kids in middle school who had, like, a love for Nightmare Before Christmas again. Um, and I think the reason that it happens is because we were little mm-hmm. when it first came out. We were yes. little babbies. Babies. We were little babies. And then I had sort of a half memory of it. Like I could remember seeing like a skeleton on a hill and singing and like the hill unfolds. But I couldn't remember what that thing was. Yeah. And then Kingdom Hearts, the trailer for Kingdom Hearts comes out. That's right. I'm going to say the fall or winter of 2001. Mm-hmm. 
PS2 is coming out, everyone's hyped up about the PS2. So then Kingdom Hearts comes out, or the, the trailer for it comes out, and people are suddenly like, oh yeah, remember that thing? Oh, what's that skeleton? And then it sort of just perfectly lined up with like the kids who were so young when it first came out are at the age now where they want to denounce Disney and be like, I don't like Disney princesses. I don't like this stuff. It's too cool. Like kind of the same mentality as the Shrek movie. Yeah. They don't want to align with those like childish views. Oh, but here's something that we can get with, which is Nightmare Before Christmas. And also, it's going to be in this cool video game. Any RPG game. Yes, a very cool RPG game that has, like, Final Fantasy characters in it. So then it kind of, I think it serves as a good transition into adolescence. And liking more serious and more adult themes. And this was also, like, we were talking about before with the malls. Like, how could you go to Hot Topic and not see a bunch of... Nightmare Before Christmas memorabilia. Right. And I think also, you know, when we were younger, globalism wasn't such a thing. Amazon wasn't such a thing. So if you liked something that was pop culture-y and maybe was a little bit more alternative, like a video game or Nightmare Before Christmas, Hot Topic was your only place to go get it. Yeah. Right. And I remember, like, the funny thing about Hot Topic, side note, is that, Mm -hmm. like, it got hated on, but everyone went there. Yeah, also now like, I think I would give anything to have that old Hot Topic back. Yeah, because, like, that's the thing. People talk shit about it and hated it. You had a bunch of old school, like, hardcore and metal guys be like, no, you, you know, that's that's mainstream. It's dumb, and I'm not going to say it. But, you know, you would get it like, oh, it's gay. But everyone went there because that was essentially the only place you could really go to get your like gear like Mm -hmm. that was like i would contribute a big boom in alt culture scene culture metal and hardcore culture in the aughts Mm -hmm. was that there was finally a place that like everybody in the suburb could go to and you didn't have to take the train into the city to go to the cd store (laughs) on saint mark's place to buy some punk shit Right. I think that, and that's the thing too, is like you and I could have had that option as teenagers living on Long Island. We could have taken the train in, you know, go to cool shops in the city. But like, what about people in Indiana or Ohio who didn't have those options? Exactly. Hot Topic became that outlet for people who were looking for something else. And the thing is like, you and I would eventually do that. Mm -hmm. But like after we went to Hot Topic first... (laughs) Right, right. Also, like, when we were of age at, like, 18 years old. Yeah. Had our own license and state IDs. Yeah, but, like, Mm -hmm. that is where maybe... Because I know this movie gets re-released in 2006. Mm -hmm. And it is now, it is... Because it was, like, I think they call it a sleeper hit. Like, it was Mm -hmm. okay at the time. It was okay received. It did all right financially, but it really was, like this resurgence in alt culture and like you said you know all of a sudden kingdom hearts you have this edgier darker family-friendly character in this rpg style game Mm -hmm. and it just like it just took off running also um and i think that they were kind of planning for this to happen in 2001 
the same holiday Halloween season as they're advertising for Kingdom Hearts, Disneyland and Disney in Disney Tokyo do a holiday seasonal ride that takes you through Nightmare Before Christmas and all of its characters. I didn't even know that. Wow. Mm -hmm. Which makes me want to go back to Disneyland during the holiday season now. Damn, that would be... I had no idea. That's awesome. I also just want to go to Disney Tokyo because I want to go to Disney Tokyo. Yeah. Like, it just seems cool. They have Sailor Moon stuff there. So... Absolutely. Yeah. Um, But so, yeah, so, like... It's these things that are leading up to this sort of nourishment of this story. And like you said, like the box office numbers too. So they re-released the movie in 2006. Um, that was originally supposed to be a CGI sequel. What? what, what? Mm-hmm. I didn't know about this. There was supposed to be a sequel. Um, the biggest X realizing that... Um, people like this stuff are having, you know, more of an interest in opening up about how it is a Disney property. And then um, they decide, well, we want to do a CGI sequel. And Tim Burton has a pretty good amount of stake in the characters. Like he Mm -hmm. has a lot of rights to them. Uh, He just flat out says no. Oh, I didn't even realize that. Yeah. 2006. I know that that's Bob Iger became CEO in 2005. And that's where you see like a huge That's where shift. things change. Yeah, things really change. Like, because that was the biggest difference, I I think, between mm-hmm. Iger and Eisner. Mm-hmm. Eisner kind of tried to branch things off to not use the Disney name. Whereas I think Iger really encompassed it with this synergy mentality. Right. And speaking of which, like... Iger is the person who works really hard to mend relationships with those different brands like Pixar. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yep. That's a whole nother episode into itself. Totally. Uh, the... that's a, we should do a whole... Sorry, my cat is making so much freaking noise. Right I now. know. It's adorable. <laughs> she wants so much attention. Um, oh, my gosh. But, yeah, so... Um, we could do a whole mini series on just Pixar movies that came out in the 2000s because those are the ones that I, I truly loved those two. Well, those are the ones we grew up with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Those were its best years. Because that is the weird thing. I think similarly to you, mm-hmm. I watched Nightmare Before Christmas a lot as a child. I watched it more as a kid than I did as an adult. And I remember really liking it, but it gro- it did gross me out as a kid. Oh, yeah, I totally. Think that- yeah, like, Oogie Boogie is a very creepy character, and, like, the whole, like, I remember being kind of traumatized by the scene when, like, the the, the asshole trick-or-treater kids oh, are yeah. singing their their asshole song about being assholes, <laughs> and they, like, drenched this cockroach in this, like, fluid, mm-hmm. and then Oogie Boogie eats the cockroach, and you just see the kids get thrown back at the kids, and I'm like, they're gonna do that to Santa. Like I remember that haunting me to my core. the Sandy Claus. I'll come up real tight. <laughs> and then Oogie Boogie, just overall nasty, gross character. Um, as an adult, I didn't realize this. I don't know if this was meant to be this way. It was weird. Remember the scene? Remember, remember the bit <laughs> where to lure him, Sally leaves her leg. Yeah. 
and Oogie Boogie is just playing with her foot. That was weird. Yeah, Oogie Boogie um, is such a strange character. I kind of see him, and, we, and we've talked about this too with other characters in other movies, uh, specifically during the Halloween season, is that like I think he's supposed to represent just like chaotic evil. Yes. Just like nasty, crude evil evil whereas like jack skellington is like i'm the fun halloween i'm the fun good things about halloween yeah absolutely right also um, for side i'm not kink shaming <laughs> very accepting and loving of all things consensual right it's just i think it was really weird and gross when oogie boogie did that it's it is it's a strange adult joke to put into a children's movie yeah, because the detail, like, this is stop motion. Detail went into this. Yes. Someone thought, we have to place this here. He must remove the shoe. And that's going to be an entire, uh, like, how many days worth of work? So they spent three years working on this movie. How many days were dedicated to the foot fetish scene? Oh, it gets worse. Um. Oh, no, you have, I was making jokes, but you have, you're going to lay down I the have- law some facts um first of all uh i have had some experience in puppet animation okay it, it is the the hardest it is the i worst. would imagine um it's so much harder than hand-drawn animation i'll take hand-drawn animation any day but the thing is with stop motion once you screw up one frame it's very hard to get it back in place so what they did on the set of Nightmare Before Christmas and the reason it took three years is that as soon as they got one frame that was off, they didn't try to fix where it was to continue the scene. They would start the scene over from the beginning. Oh my god. Right. So it's essentially three years of an OK Go music video. Just got to get is, it all in one take. That's that's insanity yeah so imagine going through that take of oogie boogie tickling sally's foot and something goes wrong and you got to start over again you already felt uncomfortable and upset you did it you spent like three weeks on this you're like hours thank god this is done i can no longer have to work on this weirdly placed scene in a children's film and then the director's like the rig is off in this one. Yeah, exactly. We gotta do it again. Because they don't have onion skin on their cameras <sighs> back in the day. No. No. Um, yeah, that would drive me crazy. I didn't even... That's insane. Yeah. But I think the reason that like I fell back in love with this when Kingdom Hearts was coming out was because I think that it really... What Jack is singing about and what Sally is singing about too really aligns with what it feels like to be a teenager yeah um yeah like when i was a teenager like hearing jack's lament felt like it was understanding how i what i was going through um so that's why i really loved nightmare before christmas when i was a tween because it felt like somebody was like singing to my like puberty and depressed episodes that's fair yeah it's For me, uh, I don't know what to... I had a point, but I forgot it. Mm -hmm. I think it was something to do with Sally. Because that's the thing. I knew Jack's purpose. He wants to embrace Christmas, but does it horribly. Right. He tries so hard. He tried really hard. I also love how quick his recovery is. Yeah. (laughs) 
Like his recovery is like, that was a bad idea. I gotta fix things now. Right. And the end of the movie doesn't really leave you with a sense of like, okay, what was accomplished here? What did you learn? Right. But if you look at it in the view of like, this was somebody or something who felt lost and tried something new and it made you realize like you should appreciate the things that you have, then it, that's then that's a, a moral to the story. That's a lesson you can have. I think I was more engaged with Sally's story because mm-hmm. again, like I didn't understand as a kid that like she's essentially a Frankenstein creature being held captive by the weirdest, creepiest, evil doctor man. Oh my god. The thing with, like, the needle in the kneecap, I was just like, ah! <laughs> as a kid. Yeah. yeah. But I came away with this loving Sally. I'm like, she is. she knew right away. She goes, this is fucked. This like, is she's bad. Like, Jack, you can't just steal Christmas. Shut it down. Shut the whole thing down. And nobody listened to Sally. Yeah. And I think also every emo kid's dream is to have town folk sing a song about, are they okay? What's <laughs> up with, are they all right? They're in their castle really, like, sad and alone right now. Yeah, every emo kid's dream was to either have an entire village of misfits sing about your sadness or to have a Sally girlfriend. Yeah, exactly. And, I mean, Blink-182, when they sing that song. Wait, what? I didn't even oh, know Oh, do you remember? Song. Um, I actually, there was, when we were playing Heads Up in Florida, I sang this, and you can hear Eric saying, please stop that. Uh Uh-oh. The song that's like, where are you, and I'm so sorry. Oh. Where are you? (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I'm so sorry. I cannot sleep. I cannot drink tonight. 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 Um... Yeah, because they sing, hello there, the angel from my nightmares, shadow in the background of the morgue. And then it says, like, we can laugh, we can live like Jack and Sally if we want. We can have Halloween on Christmas, and in this life, we wish this never ends, we wish this never ends. You know what's interesting, and I, I will say side note, the thing about the aughts, because we didn't have as much availability to, like, the resources we do now... <laughs> So things we remembered with nostalgia in the aughts was more the fabricated, excited version of what that thing really was. Mm -hmm. Because their romance is not really even a romance until the last, like, few frames of the movie. But, you know, it's really not. (laughs) But, like, in the aughts, it was romanticized as such. Like, Halloween costumes, Hot Topic Mm t-shirts. You could be Jack and Sally. But it's like, they're not really, like... Her story is more about herself and her agency than it is about this romance. But in the aughts, like I said, like without the availability to watch it on Disney Plus all day, every day, whenever I want to, Mm -hmm. unless I bought the DVD and, you know, we're doing a bunch of other shit. I think everyone remembered the more romanticized version of it. And that's what that song says to me. It's, you know, Blink-182 writing a song about a romanticized romance that's not even in the movie. Yeah. And I think that's also what became of, unfortunately, uh, Suicide Squad. For the, oh, God. For the, yeah. uh, for the later generation of, like, Harley and the Joker. And it's like, no. Like, at least, yes, they were clearly in a relationship. But that doesn't mean that you should... At least, like, Jack and Sally were, like, pure and sweet and childlike in some way. Yeah. It was just like, oh, 
you've been here the whole time. And also you were right. And she's like, you're goddamn right I was right. I was right this whole fucking time. And he's like, I love you. And she's like, I love you too. And then that's it. Like the little song that they sing together is really precious. No, it is really cute. And I was happy because... Jack found his his lovely person. Right. It's like, instead of finding what he was looking for in a new holiday, it was like, oh, it was right here this entire time. It was Sally. Yeah. Yeah. That is another weird thing. I had no idea that they talked about that in that song. What is yep. it? it was called I Miss You or Miss You. Yep. Because the, <laughs> the chorus is... Don't waste your yes. time on me. You're already the voice inside my head. My head. My head. <laughs> um, remember when pop punk bands all started doing ballads? Remember when pop punk bands didn't know what enunciation was? Remember that bit? Oh, I remember that bit. Good times. I think Ariana Grande has carried that on pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. I like Ariana Grande songs, some of them. But I have no issue with Ariana Grande. I sometimes. think she's a fine individual. Yeah, sometimes I'm like, what words is she actually singing? <laughs> Those are our Ariana Grande impressions. I thought that was like leftover from that Nickelodeon show she was on. Oh yeah, that's right. You know what, that's, that's a fun, so I know that could be another fun episode is talking about all those shows on Nickelodeon that were pretty good but have a really dark backstory because of the goddamn producer. Yeah, which is too bad because like he made some really big hits and he's also in a very, very small uh John Cusack movie from the eighties that I love. He's very problematic. Yes. But he wears it on his sleeve. I don't understand how he gets away with it. But then again, <laughs> so does Brian Singer, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Um oh another thing from the 2000s that tried to, you know, um, capitalize on the success of Nightmare Before Christmas was they released a video game that was a sequel to Nightmare Before Christmas. The OE Boogie comeback? Yeah, it looked so bad. I never played it, but apparently a lot of people were disappointed with it. Yeah, I was going to say, I want to know what the story of this weird sequel is with Oogie Boogie. It's not good. I remember looking it up once, and then I immediately forgot about it. It would fit the style of the time, though. It was like, I could see it being an easy cash grab. Like, hey, we have a bunch of emo dorks who love this movie. Make a video game. Because I wonder if that was the plot that they had in mind. Like, if they came up with what the sequel would be for Nightmare Before Christmas, if that's what they had in mind. But... It is funny that Tim Burton had such an issue with them making a sequel for Nightmare Before Christmas because his exact criticism of it was exactly what he ended up doing with Alice in Wonderland. Oh, God. We... Oh, boy. Yeah. His criticism was that if they made a sequel, uh, the fans wouldn't... Like, the fans wouldn't fall for it. They would obviously know that it's a cash grab, and he didn't want to create a sequel that seemed meaningless and pointless. But also, like, Alice in Wonderland. (laughs) Is both meaningless and pointless. Yeah, and also, like, the first movie is the plot of the second book. And then you make a sequel, and it's like, what is that even about if you already did the sequel book? I don't know. Yeah. My brain hurts when it comes to Alice in Wonderland. I didn't like that movie, but I remember seeing it with my ex-girlfriend, and she (laughs) loved it very much. Right. I remember at that point... That was like the height of Tim Burton. That's when everyone was like, this is Tim Burton. 
And then we went to go see Alice in Wonderland. And I think just as a society, you either like, you know, went head in for it. You were just like, oh, genius. Or you were like, I don't, this isn't going too well. Yeah, no, absolutely. Right. What a, what a time. Yeah. What a time. Did, do you think, because also mm-hmm. speaking about how like the cultural revival of this film was a huge part of the emo culture mm-hmm. of the arts. Do you think that was kind of what led into... Because then, I think in 2005, we would get The Corpse Bride. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I saw The Corpse Bride in theaters. Did you? Mm-hmm. I haven't seen it at all. I think that at the time, because of Nightmare Before Christmas, I was actually thinking it would be as big and as good. And I was like excited, like, oh, Tim Burton is doing another puppet animation this is going to be amazing. It has to be. It's fine. But at no, the time, fine. just fine isn't okay. Because you're thinking it's going to be amazing. Yeah. So, like, now I can sit back and enjoy it and appreciate it. And see it as, like, a really sweet film. But... I want to watch it. I haven't seen it. You should watch it. It's good. Did you know that Vincent Price was going to be the voiceover for Santa Claus? Wait, really? Mm-hmm. What happened? Oh, did he die? No, um, his wife passed away. And oh, no. When they recorded his voiceover work, they said it was too sad. Damn. Which makes me think, like, how hauntingly sad are those recordings? Like, I kind of need to know what they sound like. We should get a re-release with those recordings. Like, I think it would probably be the most tragic and beautiful Santa I've ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I got that's something I realized looking into this because Vincent Price is tied quite a bit to Tim Burton and his movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the people who show up and work on his other movies are here. Like I think the who like the writer of this movie wrote a bunch of his other movies. Sorry, one sec. Uh, Caroline, Ka- I think her name is Catherine O'Hara. Oh well, Catherine O'Hara is um. You know her. Oh, she no, she's she's Sally. I'm yeah, so yeah, she's I'm the sorry. actress, so it's okay. Yeah, she she plays. Yeah, the writers of this were were credited Tim Burton. I think her name is like Caroline something. Yeah, but like, did you know Pee Wee Herman is in Nightmare Before Christmas? Yes. I didn't even know that until now because I know Tim Burton directed that movie, Pee Wee Herman's Great Big Adventure, whatever it's called. Mm-hmm. I love that. Pee Wee Herman's Great Big Adventure or whatever it's called. He's Locke. Yes. Um, I loved Locke, Stock, and Barrel when I was uh, a tween. I thought that they were like the funniest little henchies I've ever seen. Oh. Um, so they were the shithole kids? They were the shithole kids singing about how they were going to ruin Santa Claus. Um, I think that's the song that Corn covers, to be honest. Horse corn covered that song. Oh yeah. yeah, can we talk about that? Let's talk you, about the you, albums. Yes, you know more about it than I do. Okay. I just know that growing up, especially in the arts, the most, the big takeaway that everybody listened to was on every dummy dumb metalheads playlist yeah. was the Marilyn Manson cover of "This Is Halloween." Well, 
fans waiting for the next surprise. Yeah, um, which honestly isn't even like one of the good ones. It's okay. I think like as an edgy teenager, it's like, this is the best thing ever. But as an adult, I'm like, nah, it's fine. Right, exactly. Um, So there's the first album, which is the actual soundtrack, which um, if you listen to it, you will hear the proper introduction and conclusion read by Patrick Stewart. Okay. Um, I'm kind of glad that they took it out of the movie, but it's nice to hear on the soundtrack because it's it's Patrick Stewart narrating Nightmare Before Christmas. Yeah. What could be cooler than that? But so when they re-released the movie in 2006, they paired the original soundtrack with an album of covers, including bands and singers that were just at the height of their careers during this time. Oh, yeah, because we got, I'm looking at the list now. We have Mm -hmm. obviously previously mentioned Marilyn Manson. The only one that so far doesn't fit for me, and I'm not criticizing them, but All American Rejects. All American Rejects really just fell off the face of the earth. But, like, other ones that make sense. We have Corn. Didn't your sister, like, really love All American Rejects for a while? Not not yeah. Jana. I know, I know, I know. I was there was a time where all American rejects were just a popular thing that people liked. Yes. This album has Corn Rise Against. Oh yeah. Amy Lee, which that that to me makes the most sense. That one I didn't like because it felt too much like the odds. Yeah, it was very the odds. It was too on the nose. Shiny toy guns. Oh, I liked the, the shiny Owl toy Lee. guns one. Plain White Tees. Oh, I forgot what song they sing. Is it Jack's Lament? Poor Jack. Yeah, yeah. Same thing. Um, the one that came with the original soundtrack, so I guess then that Panic at the Disco's This is Halloween was on that one. Fall Out Boy sings What's This, which is Fight Me to the Death on this. It's perfect. It's a perfect cover great band to choose for the song because like it just fits jack's whole entire mood when he finds christmas town what's this what's this there's color everywhere what's this there's white things in the air what's this i can't believe my eyes i must be dreaming wake up jack this isn't fair what's this Okay. I will I will stand that cover to the end. That's fair. Fiona Apple does Sally's song, which I really love too. I think that's also okay. a really good pairing in a way that's not as on the nose, but still appropriate for the time period as like Amy Lee. That makes total sense. Yeah. I get that. I can appreciate that. Speaking of this, I just had this thought mm-hmm. now that we're looking at this. Honestly, like that was another thing that was very popular in the aughts, especially the latter half. Mm-hmm was was like punk and metalcore bands covering pop songs yes that was huge like how many how many pop goes punk albums were there right it was like they were following the now albums a little bit and it felt like it meant to be a little bit like ha 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 like we're making fun of pop songs and then i would actually be like oh this is kind of good yeah I actually, re- there's one song I really do like from those Pop Goes Punk albums. Mm-hmm. It's uh, Britney Spears' Toxic. 
oh, by yeah. a, a static lullaby. <laughs> I love that cover. I will, I'm, I'm going to include it right here. Okay. also we should we should add some of the nightmare before christmas ones um i'm also a big fan of like newfound glory made just a pop covers album but it's pop really? over generations like they sing it ain't me babe with Haley oh, williams nice. yeah and um kiss me by sixpence none the richer <laughs> love that song so in your opinion which like which one of like which was the best cover? Because like I was saying, like the one that I remembered immediately, and the one I think most people do mm-hmm. is the Marilyn Manson "This Is Halloween," and I think it's that's purely for aesthetic reasons because, especially back then, Marilyn Manson looked like a creature from Nightmare on Cr- Before Christmas. Right now he's just sad and and fat. Yeah. 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 Um, I think that. As like a critical music listener who like the um I would say like you know the like the the critical reviewer person would say like the highbrow music listener will say Fiona Apple's cover of Sally's song is the best. Fair. The lowbrow music critic will say, Fallout Boys, what's this? Or I gotta give credit to Shiny Toy Guns doing the reprise because Mm -hmm. they sort of turn a town like chant into a stadium rock song and i feel like that was the only solid progression that it could take and i appreciate that effort that's fair so that's my totally fair all right i can get with that i have not really listened to any of these so i have no real opinion other than I remember that bit where Marilyn Manson sang This is Halloween. I remember that he... bit where Marilyn Manson was animated into Clone High. Wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> That's a, you know, a perfect crossover because we talk about Clone High in our Evil Dead episode. Clone High is going to come up a lot for me and apparently for you too. Clone High. Yeah, I'm all for it. Um, yeah, if you just Google Marilyn Manson Clone High, you will see a, a perfectly depicted animated Marilyn Manson. Do you also remember when Marilyn Manson, there was a Marilyn Manson music video, I think it was for uh, Tainted Love, that oh. was the, that used the entire cast of uh, Not Another Teen Movie? Oh, yeah. Chris Evans is in a Marilyn Manson music video. Somebody else is in a big one. I don't remember who it is. I think it's like, is it Shiler Lee from Grey's Anatomy? Somebody else, somebody big is also in a Marilyn Manson music video. I bet if you just Google, like, girls in music videos from the aughts, you'll see a bunch of them. Like, Lizzie Kaplan is in Jason Mraz's first music video ever. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't someone big in, like, uh, I'm going too off on a side note. Never mind. (laughs) No more side side bars for me. (laughs) I was thinking of, what's his fucking face? Enrique Iglesias. Oh, boy. 
the song. Oh yeah, he had his um like tennis girlfriend in Hero. I can be a hero. Baby. What was her name like Anna Kornikova or something like that? Oh man, I don't remember. Yeah, he was like dating a tennis player. Would you cry? <laughs> if I asked you to dance, <laughs> would you tremble? <laughs> song. I can be a. I remember. I'll never forget this. Uh, fun fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone we used to know, who is not Somebody. very suave. Yeah. <laughs> not very suave. Not very good at flirtation. But for some reason, in high school, when you're the only person talking like this, it works. Was able to sweet talk somebody else I knew, mm-hmm. and she fell head over heels for him because he texted her, "I could be your hero, baby." Oh, I bet there are lots of people who did that. I think a lot of them did. Tom, I think I might have a story where somebody did that to you. Yeah, it's not my current oh. partner, thank God. <laughs> if, I mean, the of the other person. two choices I had in high school, you can probably figure out who it was. Oh, because I love that. That makes it, and it's nothing about you, nothing bad about you. But I, 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 I love the fact that this was a copy pasta for him. Mm-hmm. Because I know very well if we're talking to the same person, yeah. he sent it to. We're talking. We're he sent it to, to the very person we're also thinking about. Yeah. And uh, she fell head over heels for that and didn't let it go for many years. But at least, at least I gotta tell you that when it was said to me, I was like, no. At least I was I aware. Have faith in you. Yeah. I have I have a lot of faith in you that you're like, this is stupid. Yeah, at least when I heard it, I was like, okay, haha, I like that's dumb. Oh my god, he said he'd be my hero. That's the sweetest thing ever. I, oh my god. The things that you fall for in the two thousands, you know. <laughs> I want someone to be my hero. Where's my goddamn hero? Um, have you ever seen the meme? Uh Joe sent this to me once. It's like I think it's a just a video of the scene what's this but instead it's fuck's this fuck's this there's white shit everywhere fuck's this there's white things the in there it's this? so good because that's like basically that's the whole scene that is amazing jack is like where the fuck am i who are what these the happy pointy eared little shits i mean something i thought about while watching this because you said there was a potential for a sequel mm-hmm. i always thought about like because like In the movie, remember that bit where he discovers the Christmas world and there's like a bunch of trees with different holidays on Mm -hmm. it? What are the other holidays like? I know, that does seem really fun. Like, that is something that would have been a cool idea to explore. I think that's what they do in the video game a little bit, is that I don't know if you get to go into the other worlds, but you do have to save the holidays. Okay. Which does make sense. It's just that when you start the video game with Dr. Finkelstein being like, here you go, I made this green whip. It's a perfect weapon. I don't know when you'll use it. Then it's like, oh, okay, great. Also the creepiest character in the movie. I was visibly upset every time I saw that character. What about like when he opens up his brain and scratches it for the first time? I remember that bit. Remember that bit when he makes a wife using half of his brain? Do you remember that part? Do you remember that bit when he says to Sally, I made you with my own two hands, and then he just sort of stares at his hands weirdly for a few frames? I remember that bit. Yeah. <laughs> I remember that bit. Oh, my God. Um, 
so many bits to remember. Did you know that all of the toys that are used in the Jack Skellington Christmas scene, like when the kids are opening their presents, um, they are all homages to previous Tim Burton movies? That would make sense. Yeah, yeah. It totally makes sense. Um, oh, yeah. Well, what wasn't the sandworm from Beetlejuice? The sandworm. That is, uh, okay. that is canon. That is the sandworm. Um, one little boy. I love the part where they're like, oh, dear, what did Santa get you? And he just turns around with the bleakest look on his face and he pulls out a shrunken head. That was amazing. <laughs> it's so funny. Um, so that's from Beetlejuice. And then the um, duck with the gunshot wounds in it is... Oh, that, that the duck with the gunshot Yeah, it's from Batman. It's uh, the penguin's vehicle. Oh, yeah. I didn't know that. So they're all just little things that Tim Burton has recycled from his other movies. I didn't even know that. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. And then um, I remember in Weirdly Enough as a Child being really sad when they shot down Jack Skellington because in my mind even though he was fucking everything up he only wanted to deliver Christmas he just did a really bad job yeah he just really wanted to be a part of something that is kind of special yeah also I know that I think like the inappropriate and insensitive phrasing that most people would use is they would call the the mayor the bipolar mayor Oh, yeah, but, um, that's voiced this... by the guy from Beetlejuice, too. Yeah, but um, being that his emotional reactions are very drastic and very dependent on the attention around him, I would say he's not the bipolar mayor. I think he has every reason to be as worried as he is when he's yeah. stressing out. <laughs> I think there was a funny scene where when he gets into, when Jack Skellington gets shot down, he's immediately like, I knew this was a bad idea. Why did I let him do this? Is there a song you wanted to put on the list? I don't know what uh, what what do you think we should put into this? What uh for the I music think charts? To be, to be canonically fair, we have to put one of the covers on the list. Sure. We can only bend the rules so much, right? So I think we already talked about how there's much better songs. But I think we have to put the Marilyn Manson This is Halloween on the list. I guess you're right, yeah. And now, mind you, we usually go by the lyrics, but I think it's fair to go by the lyrics, but also how Marilyn Manson performs them, which is very erratic and stereotypical of this time. So, where would we want to put it on the list? Mm. Let me take a look. Can you list off the categories again? I can't find the spreadsheet right now. Oh, sure thing. I have it. I have it. Oh, I'm pulling it up now. Um, emerging alt rock trends. We have mutual or self-destruct destruction, denouncement of society. I think it has to go with denouncement of society, right? Yeah, sure. Because I mean, it's yeah. quite literally. All right, I'll put it in the list. Yeah. Where, um, like, where else is it going to go, and what would our argument be for any other category in it? Not okay. We can put Marilyn Manson. Well, we should put Marilyn. He's sad. He needs help. Let's put Marilyn Manson in Not Okay. We're going to do two. We're going to put the song in nonconformity, but we're going to have a little side note asterisk under Not Okay and be like, Just Marilyn remember, Manson as a whole. Just remember, we need to, as a society, check in on Marilyn Manson once in a while. Make sure he's doing all right. 
You doing all right, buddy? I feel more concerned about Evan Rachel Wood, to be honest. I think we should be um, concerned for the girl that he left his wife for and then told her to dress up as the previous person. I didn't know that. You didn't know that? Come on. I did. That's like Marilyn Manson 101. All right, we don't need to worry. You know what? Fuck them. We don't. Are you okay? Yeah. For are 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 the person? You know, let's have a list for anyone who dated Marilyn Manson. Are you all okay? Yeah, Evan Rachel Wood. Are you okay? You seem like an amazing human being. I want to be friends with you. She's not going to hear this, but like, you know, she's the reason. Well, not she is the reason. Marilyn Manson made some choices with her involved in those choices where he divorced Dita Von Teese and then told Evan Rachel Wood that he should dress like her, his ex-wife. That's disgusting. Yeah. Oh, God. And like, she was, that's like, not... pretty young. Like, that's... Ugh. I don't feel good right now. No. No. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Yeah, we don't need to check in on him. Yeah. We need to check in on her. Yeah. I'm gonna put that in the doc. Right, she seems like an you... amazing human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um... Tom, do yes. you think this would be successful in 2020? Like, if it came out right now? Um, that's a tough one. I think because, like, it's one of those things that's so strong in our pop culture, mm-hmm. it's hard to say anything otherwise than yes. But I'm trying to think. if it, You know what? I think it would, because you know why? Like, why? when this came out in 1993... The like, like I said, this was a sleeper hit until the 2000s when it blew up. Mm-hmm. So I think that this would have done probably a little better. Like it might not have received critical reception because like by this point now we've seen a lot of different types of incredible stop motion animation mm-hmm. done really well where the story is not inhibited by the animation. You know, it's only like better pushed. Mm-hmm. So I think critically it wouldn't have done amazing because it's like what is the story here like what what what's what is the story right but i think visually and everything like that i think this would have done phenomenal especially like right now when everyone is like craving some new you know halloween because that's another thing about horror movies that not everyone understands is that sometimes it's just nice to have a halloween movie that's not like a gore fest Halloween like horror movie. It's just nice to have a like family friendly Halloween movie. Right. I think that's what I liked about it because I couldn't watch horror movies as a kid. So this seemed like a good entry into like what's fun about Halloween but isn't bad things happening to people. Yeah. So this I think it would have done well. I think critically it wouldn't have done well, but I think this would have garnered the same type of people who are currently fans of it then, you know? Mm-hmm. But if it was a, t- if they wouldn't have been able to sell it by Tim Burton's name as much as they would have before. Right, and it wouldn't hold as much weight to it as it did back then. Yeah, they might. Disney might have even tried to distance the name Tim Burton and been like, um, other really good, you know, person. I I think now we celebrate the animators more than anything. Like, what is it, uh? Hugo and the Two Strings and like that. Hmm. Oh yeah, yeah. Do you know that was um also Kubo. like a movie, yeah. like a movie. Yeah, Kubo and the Two Strings. Yes. Like I think nowadays we would praise the animator or the the visionary behind it more than we would the producer. Like 
back then you needed a Tim Burton to sell the movie. Now it's like, no, we love this. We love what's going on here. Right. And that's the same thing with like the Miyazaki movies too, is like nobody was going, nobody was in the theater me with me and my mom when we went to go see Spirited Away. But, you know, the award ceremonies would still try to be like, oh, this is a classic. This is like a beautiful film. And now everyone is like, oh, of course, Miyazaki. Yeah. yeah. So I think it would do well, but it wouldn't have done... It would have done well because the fan base is here. Like the Halloween fan base is strong. Mm-hmm. We would we would embrace it open heartedly. I don't think the Tim Burton name would have sold it though. Right, and I do think that like people and what I loved about it too was the fantasy and escapist element of Nightmare Before Christmas was so strong. Like they really did such a great job creating that world. Yes, but the thing is, I think with how many movies Netflix comes out with every single day it would be hard to highlight this. Like, I think it would get lost in the shuffle a lot more easily. That's fair. Yeah. So, with the last question, Tom. Yes. What has been your obsession lately? I've been streaming on Twitch again on Tuesdays. And I finally, I got this game called Phasmophobia. There's There's like three games in the last like two months that have just exploded on like not only Twitch, but like everywhere. Like, Fall Guys was the first one, then Among Us, Fall and now guys. Phasma. Yeah, now Phasmophobia. It's a simple game, like it's an indie game, and I think it might have even been a college kids project. But it's all it is is that you're part of a ghost hunting team who have to gather evidence in a spooky house, and you have to try to identify what the ghost is before the ghost hunts you. Okay. It is actually really scary to play it, and it's so much fun. Like, it's it's emphasized to play with other people, so there's a lot of co-op elements. It's just so much fun, mm-hmm. and I'm going to play it tonight. <laughs> yeah, it is so much fun. I would tell the guys at the house, I would tell Joe especially, tr- check it out. It's just, it's it's not super expensive. It's like 11 bucks, but it is totally worth it because you could just play for hours with your friends digging around hunting ghosts. They have shouting matches over among us and it amazes me (laughs) well that's the thing this game's co-op okay so it's it doesn't enforce like yelling at each other but they might scream because it is it is fairly spooky Mm -hmm. i'll tell them to check it out yeah it's a lot of fun what is your obsession been lately well i don't know (laughs) Um, that's fair (laughs) I, i was trying to think about it today um and now my mind is blanking um oh the a couple of the companies that um i switched to uh yes i decided um in october of 2020 that there is very little that i feel like i have control over so one of those things that i decided to do is completely um end my routine like toiletry routine in the bathroom with plastics and easy waste containers and chemicals. Um, so I switched to completely environmentally friendly and um, I'm going to say face friendly materials. And um, I found two companies that I've absolutely fallen in love with. Um, Earthling Co. has um, great shampoo, conditioner, and facial soap bars. Um, I got this really great soap bar with rose and charcoal that just like totally minimizes my pores and it makes me feel so clean. And then another one, which is more for people who have menstrual cycles, um, it's called Rail. 
R A E L. I think it's supposed to look like real, but you switch the letters around. And um, their products are just amazing. It's just like if anybody anybody who has a menstrual cycle should just start using their products because they're fantastic. They have toners, they have facial cleansers, and they really decided to break down like what is helpful for the body when you have to go through this cycle every single month. So I'm very that's thankful amazing. That. I'm glad yeah. that's awesome. And they have a toothpaste that is good for gum swelling because i forgot that not only is there problems down under but also if you have wisdom teeth your gums swell and your wisdom teeth hurt more so you know that helps with that too they just they covered all the bases excellent i definitely suggest that all right guys well thank you for tuning in this is our first episode post halloween season yeah um, it's been fun, even though this one could easily fit in right in with the Halloween season. Also, I mean, nobody knows what we're doing yet, but what we're doing for our Christmas series isn't that much different than a Halloween series either. No. Oh, and um, I'm excited about this one. I don't know why this one has me the most excited, but we're going to do Twilight soon. Yep. I'm very excited to rewatch yep. that. Get ready, guys, because we are not having a Christmas season this year. We're having a twilight it's... season. Oh boy. Here we go. It'll be a fun time. I've watched the first two movies. Um I don't know what's gonna happen after that. I have I have the because I did, I have the first one on Blu-ray. Yes. In preparation for this. And it's full HD glory. And then I said, Tom, don't you know that all of the movies are on Amazon? And I said, whoops. Bought it anyways. <laughs> yes. So thank you guys for tuning in. Mm-hmm. It's been a great time. Be sure to check us out on Spotify, yeah. iTunes, yeah. Google Play, Podbean, where most podcasts are found. Also, Courtney, I'll direct to you the Instagram promo plug. So you can check us out on Remember the Zero Zeros podcast on Instagram. Uh, we usually try to post different things that we usually don't get to include in the episodes, uh, little animated features, digital drawings, some quick bits of us recording some extra specials. Um, We have not been doing that much with it, but that's okay because we've been busy living our lives in October. It's been a busy month for us and we're having a good time as much as we can. So, you know. Also, Courtney, keep up with it. I haven't haven't gotten the Freddy vs. Jason video done yet. I'm so sorry. Oh, no, it's okay. It's fine. It's fine. (laughs) It's all good. All right. (laughs) But with that, everybody, thank you so much. Be sure to like, follow, subscribe, do all the things on the social media platforms, and see you soon. Watch Twilight for the season. Yep. All right, bye bye. That's it. And what did Santa bring you, honey? (laughs) 